Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And today's episode is another bonus episode. This is a follow-up conversation, which means that this full episode is only available for patrons who support the show at patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. And it being a follow-up episode means that this guest has already been on the show before. So my guest today is Steve Bechtel. He is the founder of Climbstrong, based in Lander, Wyoming, a very influential mind in the world of training for rock climbing. One of my favorite people to talk to. I love talking to Steve. I always learn something. I've been following his work for years and years. I wrote the foreword to his latest book. I just love talking to Steve. This was another great episode that I'm very excited to share. So Steve has been on the podcast a number of times. We did a free episode on the regular podcast. Um, I think the first year of the podcast, episode 35, 36, somewhere right around there. And he's been back on, I think at least two other times. I think I've done two other follow-ups with Steve. And this time around, we dove into a very specific topic. This is a deep dive into active recovery. You hear about it all the time, right? If you're a climber and you're training really hard, you're supposed to be practicing active recovery on your rest days. But what does that mean? How much recovery how much active recovery, how much activity is the right amount? Because you don't want to be training on your rest days, but you want to be doing something because apparently that's better than just sitting on the couch. But yeah, what do we actually do? How much is too much? How much is the right amount? And we ended up breaking it down and talking about active recovery within a training session, between training sessions, like within a week, and then what it looks like on a longer term, like a rest phase from hard training what does active recovery look like over the span of months or how does that fit in with a year? So yeah, once again, this is a nugget filled episode as they always are with Steve. I'm going to give you a free teaser today. That's what I usually do with these follow-ups. So you can get a taste of the first 20 or 30 minutes and see if you find it interesting. The full version of this episode is available right now for patrons who support the podcast for $5 per month or more. And if you sign up, you'll get access to all of the follow-ups that I've ever done. I believe this is number 50. So 50 more bonus episodes if you're loving the podcast and can't get enough. You can listen to all of them right now as soon as you sign up for Patreon. It's super quick, super easy to sign up. Go to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. There's a link right there in your podcast app. And you can also cancel at any time, no questions asked. I totally get it. Maybe you want to support the podcast for a while and then, I don't know, finances get tight or you have a big purchase that you want to save up for. Maybe you want to save up for your own climbing trip. You can cancel at any time. No hard feelings. I just really appreciate any amount of support that you guys are able to give. It really helps me out to continue making this show. All right, let's dive in. Please enjoy this follow-up free teaser with Steve Bechtel. I got an email from a listener maybe, you know, a month ago. And the, the email basically said, you know, I would love to hear an episode about active recovery you know, it'd be interesting if you had someone on who knows a lot about that because this person was asking, obviously, we all hear that active recovery is good and it's helpful, but 
what is it actually doing? And is there actually research showing that it's better than just sitting and resting and just taking full rest? And in trying to answer the email, I was kind of sharing my thoughts and thinking about how I would, you know, who I'd want to talk to in in a potential episode. As I tried to craft my answer, I realized I really don't know anything about this. I just know that everyone says active recovery is good. You know, I kind of intuitively know or have heard that it gets your blood flowing, that helps kind of get nutrients to the muscles that are tired and, you know, get rid of some of the waste products and things like that. That makes sense to me. But um, that was the extent. That was kind of the extent of my knowledge. And um, I couldn't really point to, um, I, I just realized like, this is actually a huge question. Like, if a climber's in a training phase and they want to improve their uh, quality of recovery, how much active recovery should they actually be doing? I think a really common pitfall is for climbers to do way too much and turn every day into, you know, you see it all the time. Like I go on a trip and someone's taking an active rest day and they're like, you know, climbing six pitches of things that are not that easy for them. And it's like, that's probably too much, too much climbing uh, for a true active rest. So anyway, that's, that's today's topic. And you were the first person that came to mind. I I reached out to you and figured, I'm sure Steve's thought about this or has some insights here. So. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really interested in, in, in looking at this in two regards. One, you, you can read the research and, and, there are a lot of people that know the research better than I do. And they, there are a lot of climbers that are kind of like pretend scientists, you know, like I'm a, I'm a subject matter specialist and I'm, you know, like I'm going to use all these big words, but more of my job ends up talking to actual climbers instead of saying, you know, like writing papers or doing research. And so we'll read the research, we'll be informed by the research, and then we'll try to figure out how it works pragmatically and so as we talk about this a little bit, Stephen, I want to talk about some of this really interesting, there's actually some climbing specific research that we shared back and forth that is, um, that's, you're like, well, this is really cool, but it's not that practical in a real world climbing situation. Very much like, uh, it, it bothers me when people are talk about research-based, I'm doing research-based training, like there was somebody saying that the only hangboard pro- protocol they would do was Ava Lopez's because it's the only one that was research-based. And it's really short-sighted because number one, you can't follow the same protocols that are in the research. And two, we have a pretty good idea that there are other ways to get strong other than what was done in the research. Yeah, that's so that's so limiting when you have all these other people trying new things and getting good results from yeah. new approaches and things like that. Yeah, that just yeah. seems unnecessarily limiting. Well, and you can you can you if you can find the principles that are are shown in the research, then you can go and try to apply those in other places. And and you know, like the research basing is is kind of annoying for me because like you probably know a lot about nutrition research and you know a lot about specific macronutrient ratios that you should have and you've probably seen science on that but you probably didn't follow that exactly for breakfast this morning Mm. right you maybe you had too too many grams of simple carbohydrates or something like that and it wasn't optimal and you know you can drive yourself crazy and so what we really want to look at is what can i do practically all the time that's going to improve my climbing so when we go to recovery when we think about recovery if we can change the duration that recovery takes, we're going to get better results. And 
if we if we look at recovery in in this light, this is exactly why steroids work so well. Um, and when when people think about somebody injecting themselves with steroids, they think um, like the layperson thinks they inject themselves with a syringe and their muscles grow. But really, what happens is these steroids help the recovery process improve so much that that athlete can train more. Mm. And depending on the nature of their training, they may get bigger muscles or they might just get a lot stronger. Or, you know, they've even they've even caught professional cyclists taking steroids in order to aid recovery. And they're not like big, bulky, huge people. And so it's not really like a bulking mechanism as much as a recovery mechanism. Um, and so when we look at, you know, a normal person's approach to recovery, it really comes in terms of eating right, sleeping right, and then optimizing for our time between intensive training sessions. And so a lot of it is like, if you look at it like a seesaw, you have all of your outputs, your, your training, your hard work, and then you try to balance that out with good eating, good recovery periods, good sleep. And what's really neat, you, you, you know, climbers as well as I do, that they want to keep loading up more and more stuff. Maybe I can also, you know, uh, I can also add another hangboard protocol on top of this one. Um, you, you can do that if you also enhance recovery and keep things in balance there. Mm. And so when we look at active recovery, um, the theory is that muscle movements, increased heart rate, increased body temperature, they all aid in the clearance of lactate and associated waste products. We know that lactate isn't actually the cause of fatigue, but it's a really good marker of the fatigue causing uh, products in our, in our blood. And so if we can clear those things out faster, we can then do more training in any given period. And so when we look at this, we, we're kind of saying, um, we're decreasing fatigue with, with active recovery. Um, we're accelerating physiological regeneration. We're enhancing our sport adaptation and we're hopefully decreasing our injury risk. One of the really cool things about active recovery modes is it's pushing blood through the system. And that blood not only helps us recover from exercise, but also delivers like repair products to like our tendons, joints, things like that. Mm. And so that's where the, the um, recovery start, uh, excuse me, the injury prevention stuff comes from. So when we look at active recovery versus passive recovery, passive recovery is just sitting down between boulder problems or sitting on the couch at night after training. Um, we want to look at, at that in three time scales. The first time scale we look at for active recovery is between exercises, right? Or between routes or, but you know, between boulder problems. The next level down would be between training sessions. Like how do I optimize my recovery between my Tuesday and Thursday training? And then we can also look at it between training phases. Like when I need uh, what a deload week, um, or I'm going to take three weeks off in December because I'm just hammered from training so hard the whole season. Um, and these are all really important times to recover. And in each one of those active recovery modes can be an assistant in making that recovery more effective and hopefully 
quicker. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent intro. I think another way to think about um, those different timescales is within a session, within a week, and then within a season or year, looking at active recovery in all those ways. Um, lots of things to dive into here. I have a lot of questions in front of me, but let's let's start with this. So I've, you know, I think we've all heard these funny anecdotes of uh, of specific climbers, and I can't think of specific people off the top of my head, but I know I've heard this story from multiple, you know, historical figures in climbing or even current pros, <clears throat> people that take their rest ultra, ultra seriously and just like lay down, you know, like lay on a bed for like their entire rest day and they just like refuse to do anything like no i'm resting today i'm gonna lay here and watch netflix and do nothing else um it sounds like that is actually less helpful than doing a little bit of something doing a little bit of movement but then on the flip side i think it's really common with climbers to have people that are training really hard for climbing and then they take a rest day and they're resting their fingers, but they go on like a five mile run in the mountains or something. And then they try yeah. to like break their own personal PR on Strava or something like that, you yeah. know, which is probably not helpful either. So let's start by talking about um, what's appropriate. And I think we should start like with within a week because I think that's the, I think that's maybe the most common thing that people think about when they think of active recovery, active rest days, what those look like. Um, and then we can kind of fill fill out this conversation by talking about within a session and within a season and what that looks like. But what's appropriate for different types of climbers to be doing on their rest days to aid their recovery? And it probably makes sense to talk about power and strength athletes like boulderers, um, then talk about sport climbers or single pitch trad climbers, people doing that sort of stuff. And then maybe like, you know, all day endurance climbers, big wall climbers, alpinists, whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, what's what's appropriate for an active rest day? Well, for for most um, sport climbers and boulderers, um, there's some amount of like, you know, tissue recovery that needs to take place. And that um, is is enhanced by increasing body temperature, respiratory rate and heart rate to some degree. Now, it's really easy to go into a training zone, like you're saying, going for a five-mile run. Um, for some people, that can be a recovery level of activity. For other people, that would be uh, another training activity. Like I would be also training for running. And so making sure that you are in the zone that you are really honestly better off the, after that activity you're, you're more recovered than that activity is the big key. And so we start off with a few guidelines about that. Number one, most of these activities should be something that you um, could sustain for 30 to 40 minutes um, without having to stop because of fatigue. And so if you could go out and run for 40 minutes and be at what we would call conversational intensity, um, they, you know, some people kind of will tag a heart rate to that, but really if you and I can jog along and we can say sentences back and forth, it's probably a pro- the right intensity for me running or, um, mountain biking or whatever is probably a little too high intensity, but I could walk for 45, 60 minutes. Is that just because you're not a runner? You don't spend time training? Yeah, that? I just... I've done some some long distance running in the past, but right now, like 
going out and running 40 minutes would be a workout. Mm. Um, very much so. I mean, if you think about it, flip it around the other way, like um, I'm gonna, if I take one of my, um, I have a friend here in town that's a, that's a high level ultra marathoner and he, you know, goes and wins hundred milers and stuff. He and I could go out to the crag and we could just be doing pitch, you know, like laps on 510. That would be very restorative for me. I could do 10, 12, 15 pitches, but he would be destroyed by that, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. he's he's not adapted that way. And so as long as my recovery activity is not a training stimulus where it's so hard for me that I'm actually going to have to recover from that day, it's okay to go out and do these other activities. And in fact, getting some amount of activity is really um, important. And so, for example, when you're in Magic Wood, on your rest days, going out and looking at other boulders, um, you know, going and touring a castle, you know, um, hiking up, you know, to some pass in the Alps, all that stuff is going to be really useful for you recovery wise. Mm. Um, what's interesting is when we're, when we're training really, really intensively, uh, like with, you know, hard bouldering, like you're going to be doing in magic wood, the the recovery is primarily neurological, um, you know, central nervous system recovery and tissue recovery. It's not super energy system dependent. If right. you and I are climbing at, um, say, Oleana, and we're just getting ripped, you know, just destroyed on the, the pitches every single day, our recovery potentially um, is going to take longer because we're having to, you know, not only get our finger strength back and all that stuff, get our skin better, but also recoup from all of these big, pumpy anaerobic efforts. And so what's what's interesting, and some of the research that we'll talk about here in a minute, says that potentially even a little more intensive activity um, at a little bit higher heart rate might improve recovery between sessions like that. And so if you think like, if I'm bouldering and doing power stuff, light recovery in between is probably fine. If I'm getting really, really destroyed on um, endurance-oriented things where I'm fatiguing each and every every set or each and every exercise effort, um, I might need uh, I might benefit from slightly more intensive um, training. Mm. Now, when when I am talking about slightly more intensive, it's not like going out and running hill intervals or something. It's just that getting to where you're maybe into a labored breathing state, you know, hiking up a big hill. Um, maybe slightly longer activities. Um, those sorts of things are potentially uh, more useful. But what's what's really interesting if we look at um, if we look at our our general outlook on training for climbing or being out um, um, at the crag. Most people are like, I'm I'm if I'm in the gym, I'm going hard, and then if I'm recovering, I'm just doing nothing. Right? There's kind of like this this uh, dichotomy there but i like to look at at the workout types or our days of of activity on those three levels and you and i've talked about this before we can have restorative level days where we're we're actually trying to get something back through activity and we have maintenance level days where we're just trying to maintain our ability and then we have de- developmental days and a developmental day is what most people always do. They're like, I'm going in, I'm trying to send my hardest problem, or I'm trying to max out on this exercise or whatever it is. And if we are smart with our developmental versus our recovery days, we're going to get more 
net developmental days per year than if it's just like, go hard, rest, go hard, rest. And that's how people get better. Mm. That's how bodybuilders get big muscles. That's how cyclists get better at cycling is compressing the number of high quality efforts in a given time. And so I think the really important thing is to know what your goal for that workout is. If I'm going to go out into the mountains along a trail and it's between climbing days, what's my primary goal of this, this season? Is it to climb really hard or is it to run fast on my trail run? There's nothing wrong with going out and trying to run fast on your trail run, as long as you're willing to accept the fact that you're compromising your uh, intention toward climbing well. Right. The, you, you, really, you really can't do both. I mean, you can't train real hard for two different sports. Um, and so if, as long as I go into the mountains, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this five mile thing, but I want to keep it at this lower heart rate. I want to be able to have a conversation as I'm doing it. And at the end of this run, I want to feel refreshed and ready to go. Mm. Um, and so most restorative or recovery workouts are under 60 minutes in length and at a moderate intensity. They can be about anything. Um, if you're a good swimmer, you could potentially use that for recovery. If you're a good cross-country skier, you could potentially use that for recovery. But again, for me, with my experience, if I went swimming, it would be like, the fight of my life to swim for an hour. Right. Cause I'm just not good at it. Mm, um, right. Same. And, but like going out and reconning boulders and magic wood, I could, I could do that and recover pretty easily. So. Yeah. Yeah, man, you touched on so many good things there. Um, first to take a few steps back to what you started talking about, um, the needing higher intensity recovery from more pumpy sport climbing versus bouldering. It, it makes a lot of intuitive sense. I was immediately thinking like, yeah, if I have a hard bouldering day, then the next day I can tell that my body kind of wants to like go on a walk, maybe gently load my fingers on the hangboard with my feet on the ground, that sort of thing. And that feels pretty good. Whereas if I have a hard sport climbing day and I'm just totally bricked and my forearms feel really sore the next day, I kind of mm -hmm. know that I want to like move around on the wall, do some easy traversing and just get the blood flowing in the forearms because they just feel... Yeah, bad. They feel gross the next day after something like that. And and if I just sit on the couch and do nothing, um, you know, the next day climbing again, it's it's going to be pretty rough. Um, so yeah, that's kind that's kind of interesting. I think that matches yeah. my uh, my experience. And then yeah, the um the, res the those three types of days. That's really interesting. So restorative days, maintenance days, and uh, developmental days. Developmental being like hard, you know, hard training yeah. days. The first thing that I thought of when you said that was my experiences in Waco the last few winters. And that's such a clear cut example of this working for at least me personally. I always marvel at people that can go to a really hard boulder for them and try it and then take a rest day and then go back and try it and then take a rest day and go back and try it and actually make progress doing mm -hmm. that. That never seems to work for me. Um, and this last season, I, I feel like I learned that lesson once again where for most of the season, I was I had a nice mix. I would have days where I'd try V10. I'd have days where I just cruised around with friends and you know maybe climbed some V7s. Um, I had some easy days in the gym because I was rehabbing my bicep and I would do some easy climbing and then some lifting. And uh, everything was just working really well, feeling really good. I was performing well on those hard days. 
And then this always happens, like towards the end of the trip, I started feeling that time crunch. I was running out of time and there was one last hard thing I wanted to try to do. And, you know, in the name of like trying to fit more days in on the project, I just locked into this like one on two off cycle for the last week and a half, you know, just trying this V11. Yeah. I was trying try it for a day, take a couple of rest days until I felt good, go back and try it. And um, I always find like I just haven't, my body hasn't recovered in the specific ways that I'm limited by on that boulder, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like the easy sections of the boulder were feeling better and better. I was making those links. But, um, you know, the third round of that, I like couldn't do the crux move anymore because, you know, it's it's really fingery, it's really bicepy, and I just didn't have that like power or that, or that yeah. deep strength on that move anymore. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive. Like you, it seems like it would be better to compress your schedule and fit more of those high intensity days in and just rest as long as it takes to be able to have one of those days again. But I, I think I always kind of plateau or dig myself in a hole when, I, when I've tried to do that versus just like, yeah. you know, hit the project once a week when I feel really fresh and then fill out the week with easier days and, you know, sub max projects and things like that. Yeah. Well, you know, and we'll, we'll dive into a couple of these studies here because there's some interesting lessons and things to think about. And the, the most important thing is like to understand that again, in a practical sense, nobody's quite figured it out. We just know that active recovery is probably better, but there's a, there's a study that came out and, and I'm going to send you these links. We can put them in the show notes, but um, there's a study that came out that was this group of um, a group of rowers, you know, uh, people working on, on a rower um, rowing machines. And these, um, these athletes would do what's called an incremental rowing test. So just get harder and harder and harder until they blew up, which is pretty similar physiologically to what happens to climbers on endurance oriented or really pumpy routes. Um, and they all get to this really high level of blood lactate. And then they take a 20 minute recovery and they divided the, into three groups. One, they just did passive rest. They just sat there. The second group, um, did active recovery at 25% of their max power output. And so it was, they stayed on the rowing machine, but they went at 25% of max power output. The, the third group, group three, went at 50% of their max power output. So at that slightly higher elevated rate that, that I was talking about. And so during this recovery period, all of their, um, their blood lactate, oxygen consumption, and everything were measured. Okay, so after 10 minutes of recovery, the um, the people that were that were recovering at 50% of max power output, their lactate concentrations had dropped by 43%. Okay. okay. The people that were recovering a little bit lighter at 25% of output, they only saw their lactate drop by 15%. So the people that oh, wow. were that were actively going at basically half of their max had roughly triple the recovery. Okay. And then the people doing passive recovery after 10 minutes, their lactate concentrations actually rose by 1%. Whoa. And so, yeah. So interesting, right? So this is like, you go up on your super pumpy project, you come down, you put on your puffy pants and you lay there. <laughs> right. Um, and so 10 minutes later, your, your lactate concentrations are 
potentially even higher than they were before. Hmm. Um, and so what we want to, what we want to think about there is what sort of active recovery can we do in a pragmatic sense at the crag? I think I sent you the research study of the climbers that did a, a maximal effort and then the, the four different uh, recovery protocols between, but yeah. I'll, let me explain that one. So there was a group of, of high level female climbers. This was a study. Um, uh, let me see if I've got it in my notes here. Um, this was Heyman's study. Okay. And in this one, they climbed up and down um, pumpy 511 until volitional failure until they pumped off. Right. Okay. And these are pretty good, like competition level um, female climbers. And they climbed up and down this route until they pumped out. And then they took a 20 minute rest. And then they followed that 20 minute rest with another pump out uh, effort on this, on the same route. And then they compared how did the athletes do uh, route one versus route two. And so this is similar to how we might behave at the crag, right? I'm going to go as hard as I can. I'm going to fall right before I get to the chains. I'm going to be wickedly pumped, not be able to untie my knot. And then I'm going to lay down in my down puffy pants, right? Um, so they had four different interventions. One was passive rest. One, they put um, e-stim units, a TENS unit on their forearms and did light contraction to help pump pump the muscles, push the blood through. The third group did a cold water immersion where they put their forearms in nice, cool water. And I, I like that one because I can just imagine how good that would feel after, after really getting pumped on a route. Um, and then the, the fourth group got on a stationary bike and they just pedaled at a, at a moderate pace. By a long shot, the stationary biking helped the, the athletes recover better. Mm. The cold water immersion was, was good, but not quite as good. And then the passive rest and the e-stim both resulted in worse results on the subsequent burn. Mm. And so if you think about yourself at the crag, you say, okay, if I'm going to go out and get super pumped on my project, what do I do in that ensuing period that would enhance my ability, actually improve my endurance for the next go? It turns out that this active recovery on the bike would be the best choice. Again, when we look at it in a pragmatic sense, how do we do that at the crag? It's like, um, you know, Stephen, I, I, you know, I just got done with my burn. I'd love to belay you, but I'm going to sit on the bike for 20 minutes. <laughs> so, um, so potentially a group of three climbers could could do something like this. And you're probably not going to ride a stationary bike. You could do it at rifle or something, but um, <laughs> but maybe maybe you you come down off your no I'm serious yeah right no, yeah, totally. how how dorky would that be right <laughs> um, pull my stationary bike out of my van and set it up at the base of the arsenal or something and just oh, that would be so funny. actually yeah. in rifle you probably could sit on a stationary bike and belay your, your friend yeah on their project. So, but, but in, in a true sense, like how do we do that? Maybe you and another partner and I climb as a group of three, you give a big burn, you come down and you untie, put on your sweatshirt and walk up the road real quick. Mm. And you're going to be back in 20 minutes while the other two of us climb. And then we just take turns doing that. That is probably, probably going to be more effective than just sitting there. And it's probably going to be the really the only way you can make this happen. Um, 
sometimes, you know, you're not just banging pitches at these, at these really fatiguing crags. And so maybe a group of two is fine. You know, like I'm going to lower off and instead of just chilling out and hanging, I'm going to go walk down the crag, come back, and then we'll chill out and hang. And then it's your turn. And so probably some degree of moving those waste products through, keeping yourself warm, keeping the heart rate up, it's going to happen. So the next study is one where they compared, they they were doing these intensive climbing intervals. And I'll send you the, the link on this one too. This one's, this one's cool. They did these intensive climbing intervals and then their recovery bouts were either walking or easy, easy climbing. Mm. And what they learned in this research study was that the climbing. Hey, friends, I hope you enjoyed that free teaser of my follow up with Steve Bechtel. The full version is available right now. If you want to finish the episode, head over to patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. You can click on the link right there by scrolling down in your podcast app. It takes just a few minutes to sign up. You'll get access to the patron only version of the podcast. You can listen to all of this stuff right there in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts by subscribing to the patron feed. And you can also watch videos. I've been sharing more and more uncut videos of my interviews on Patreon as well. So if you prefer to watch, if you want to see what I look like, if you want to see what my guests look like and hang out with us and watch our conversation, I post the uncut videos on Patreon. I'm doing that for basically everything these days. So yeah, once again, patreon.com slash the nugget climbing, five bucks a month. You can cancel at any time. No questions asked. And I really appreciate the support. All right. Thank you, guys. I hope you have an amazing week. Thanks again for listening. And we will see you next time. Like we do it.